Live from the Pathway Studios in Johnston proper, you are live from the path. And you're listening to Live from the Path, coming from the uh, Pathway Studios here at Johnston Proper. Okay, here's the deal. Here's the quick, here's the quick deal of it. Uh, here's what we got going on on the show tonight. Uh, I want to talk about the good news. Euangelion, the gospel. Okay, I want to know. I, 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 it's came up in a couple of different conversations over the last few weeks where I feel like people are saying, Hey, man, yeah, that's the good news. We're missing out on the good news of Jesus. And then their description of the good news of Jesus was not the same across all these places. And I thought to myself, we do run a risk at putting a bunch of stuff in the good news bucket. Like, hey, man, have a jelly bean. It's the good news of Jesus. And, like, I'm not sure when he meant the good news of Jesus, he meant the presence of jelly beans. Do you have a, do you have a couple examples where we can realize the erroneous ways? So, well, I, I don't know. I guess that's what I wanted to talk about. And, and I, think, I think Dan's got our, our, our core biblical reference of where we're pulling these things from. But, like, as an example, I was listening to a podcast, and there was a guy saying, uh, they were talking about what kind of gospel is that person preaching? What, what, what is the good news that they're preaching? I said, oh, well, I'd like to hear about this. And uh, their description was uh, someone who was basically calling someone to repentance only, uh, or calling someone to repentance, and the guy goes, that good news, you know, the good news is that, is that God loves us. I'm like, is it? Is that, like, I, it is, that would just broadly lowercase good news, but is that the, when the Bible says, preach the good news, preach in the gospel, is it just people going around saying God loves you? Because that isn't actually the impression I got from it. Hmm. I think it's I think it's more specific than that. But then, then they also tried to tie to say, look, uh, it, it is the is the good news inclusive of the way Jesus says to live? Is it Matthew? Is Matthew five? Is that good news, or is that something else? Or can I think about it differently? And so uh, it, it just I, I wanted to, to sort that out in my head. So that's number one. Uh, number two. Uh, I, th- I do have a principle that, that I, I just want to say out loud, and maybe I'll get your guys' feedback on it. So I'm going to say it here, and then we're going to come back to it. Uh, but but the, 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 the phrase that was rolling around in my mind was, don't, don't make, I'm going to say it two ways, don't make macro, don't take macro action based upon micro analysis. Or phrased differently, don't take broad action based upon narrow analysis. Are you letting it sink in? Yeah, you guys sit, just sit with it for a minute. Uh, because, again, I was listening to, I was listening to something, uh, a few different things, actually, and it, this pr- same principle seemed to, to apply. And those, that was just the words that I latched onto. So that was two things. Uh, I, what, did I have a number three? Did someone else have a number three? No, we haven't come up with one yet. Well, what, what was I, I going to say? No, oh, it had to do. You were talking about deconstructing. Yes. Okay, let's come back to that. Uh, on on maybe how can we take that word and maybe think differently about what people may intend? If there's a there's a room for some grace as opposed to putting everybody in the same bucket of I'm just trying to run from Jesus and rebuild my own kingdom, yeah. which is what a lot of that feels like. Maybe that sounds ungracious, but frankly, it's what a lot of it feels like. Yes, agreed. Oh, okay, right on. Okay, those those are the three things. So let's start with the let's start with uh, what was the actual. Biblical good news. Dan, do you have it? Uh, yeah. When uh, in Luke chapter 2, the angels show up to the shepherds and they say, uh, hey, fear not. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Uh, how's that go? And the day in the town of David, the Savior is born. That's, that's the good news. The Savior has been born, basically. Um, and I mean, that, that's where you really begin hearing good news in Scripture. Everything else we kind of add to that, I would say. Yeah, like the base is the Savior that you've been waiting for has arrived. Yeah, we're in trouble. We've sinned. We are separated from God. He's come. The Savior. That is good news. Your sin can be forgiven. And, and everything else that is explained in the Bible coupled with the good news is here's, the, here's a ramification of that. Or here's a, here's a yeah. door that's open because of that. Or here's what the reality looks like because the Savior has arrived. Because even, even the cross isn't the good news. It, it came because of the good news. Right. The good news is the Savior came. Forgiveness comes through the blood of Jesus. So but the, that's not the good news. The thing that came to my mind when Ben 
proposed that question is it, it, it was it was Matthew five, but like it was it was the, the tail end of Matthew four, just before that. And it says he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And blah 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 goes on. Great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and uh, Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And then that gets us into Matthew five, and where he starts to talk to all the people that are following him. Um, at yeah. the time, right, and all the people that are following him are uh, the poor and the and the and the spiritually weak and the you know the downtrodden of society. And the good news is, is as he explains in the beginning of um, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the kingdom's for you. That's the good news. Mm-hmm. Is the Savior's here and like and where, it's for you. Where the rest of the world says you, this, there's no kingdom for you. I'm telling you right now, this is for you. So that, and that ties up a lot with like in Matthew 11. Five says the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Uh, same thing, Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind. So like, both of which hearkening back to Isaiah types, to, to promises that were related to the Messiah. And so... So I think that's right. So I think that then the broad notion then is when, when we say, hey, man, the, what is the good news? Uh, they nailed it. The, the, the good news is the Messiah has come and that this, this word is for you. Yes. 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 So that's, that's where I think we have to be careful when we think that, hey, we're giving out water bottles on a hot day to a bunch of people that, that are thirsty. That's not the good news. It might be a hopeful opening to the good news, Mm -hmm. but sometimes people will think, hey, I really shared the good news today. I gave someone water. It's like, no, you gave someone water, which is good, Yep, but you did not share the good news unless you opened your mouth and said, a Savior has been born, and you need him. So That's a good point, actually, because there's a lot of times that we do side-saddle a little bit of that phrasing on any work. Yeah. that the church is mm-hmm. doing, or that we are doing as we rake some yard. That's the good news. Yeah, well, we're spreading the we're spreading the gospel by by uh, raking yards. Yeah, and yeah. like you're doing a good thing by raking yards. Oh, absolutely. You're revealing God's heart by being a servant to someone else and generous with your time. Yep. But yeah, you may not have you're you're and 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 maybe that's where some of our our uh, preach the good news, preaching the gospel falls a little bit short. We're like, here's all the evidence as if as if the good news has been here. But like no actual meeting of the good news. Yeah, isn't that the the phrase uh, pre- like preach the good news and use words if you have to? Yeah, if necessary. Like that. It's like no, actually you have to. Yeah. So I, and I guess I, that's the thing is that like I think Jesus did both. Right? People could yeah. believe that the good news was for them. He healed there, and like it was one where I said like that's why he doesn't just say preach the gospel. He says look the 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 lame are healed, the blind can see. It's it's something physical that represents that what he's saying is valid is that the Messiah is here and this good news is for you, that the kingdom is arriving. And so, like, it, those are validations that the good news has come. Mm-hmm. But it is both. Um, and, and, it's, and again, none of, it's not wrong. I, what I was trying to sort out in my mind is, is not to say, hey, you know what, like, is, is, is Matthew 5, is the Sermon on the Mount good news, things that tell me what the kingdom is like? Well, it's related to it. If the notion that the kingdom is here and the Messiah has come to, to, to bring it in, um, understanding what the kingdom is like is part of that package, sure. But like the good news itself is that the Messiah has has arrived, and the, the reason I say that is because just like anything else, I think we can find the thing that that um, most resonates with us, or we feel like we need the most for the people who are like, look, I just need to be dealt with mercifully by God. The good news is that God is merciful. Well, that I mean, God is merciful. But that, that isn't the entire package of the good news. That's actually what I'd heard is someone had been, this is from the, the uh, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, but they were talking about like uh, things that Mark Driscoll had preached and they're like, what was his gospel? And his gospel like, did, did come off as works-based a lot um, and was one primarily focused on repentance, which is a right reaction uh, to the arrival of the kingdom. Um, but it would have been, it's too narrow to only talk about that. Uh, but on the other side, the, the folks that were describing it were like, you know, the gospel is the notion of, of mercy. It's, it's, it's God loving his people. And like, I mean, also a true attribute of God, but also too narrow. And so like, I, I think we, we just, we, we carefully, hey, like we're, we're, our intent, our uh, design is to go out and share the good news. Like, don't filter the newspaper, man. Like, don't, 
all the other things are still important, but like you just got to be careful that we did not take and use a banner that Jesus gave us to talk about something that was real and true and a launching board into all the all the things um, and just say, well, I can sum up the good news and it's this specific thing that I care about or that I think is most important. Like we just have to have a neutrality or not a neutrality, a deference and say, I defer to Jesus's definition of things. Uh, this is the good news. Now let me let me expand on that and tell you what it is. It just seemed like a lightning rod where people can can then say true things but shallow things or like not holistic things. Yeah, I, I can take credit for sharing the gospel having never done it, but I feel good about myself. That's right. I shared the gospel. What'd you do? Well, you know, I gave him that water bottle. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We that's had right. Gatorade at the last community run. Yeah, like, here's the thing, is like... We ran an ad. Uh, people, they just get so sensitive about this. It's like, no one's coming down on your attempts for outreach, right? But just realize... Right, like, right, right. Like, when you... When you don't, don't parade it around as if it's something that it's not, right? Loving on people is good. And it's what God has designed us to do, to be in community with others and share and whatever. And, and, but, like, if you, don't, if you don't make intentionality on getting down to the brass tacks of what the good news is, you're basically comforting, comforting people as you walk them to their death. Right, you're basically saying everything's okay, everything's fine. I'll walk with you this way as yeah. you separate yourself from your maker and eventually walk out. You know, and like it's in in some stark reality, it's it, it's not that part's not actually yours to control. Uh, you you know, you're not responsible for people's response to the gospel. That 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 God didn't put that on you, but you are responsible for telling them the good news. Yeah, right? it's yours to walk faithfully in. Correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't control again. You're, you're faithful in the means. It's not necessarily your outcome that you can prescribe. Correct. Um. But anyway, I just it just it's it seemed like a way of which people can till and maybe and I, maybe I've done it. Like I could see myself going, um, you know, Jesus saying, "Look, here's here's what it looks like to live in the kingdom. This is good news." The same way that I would describe the the ten command or the ten words and any Old Testament law as good and positive because they provided us definition of what it is to live um, in in a right relationship with with Yahweh. So it's good. Um, but I think we just got to be careful that we just don't overprescribe when Jesus talks about good news that we just like we hitch whatever we want to it. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I suppose in that particular situation, how they were describing, say, what they were trying to point out as a narrowness to the preaching um, from Mars Hill, they answered it with narrowness of the definition of the good news to make his narrowness look even <laughs> look worse. Yeah, yeah, their own their own narrow. So actually that's where that so that's where that second thing came up. Is is it felt like um some of this came from the podcast actually and then other things just some other things that had happened or that I read or seen over the last few weeks is that I feel like we have a tendency to to focus in on something narrow and then make a broad decision in reaction to it. And so a few examples that that were coming through my mind. So if you guys, uh, I don't want to hang on on this particular topic, but just as an example, um, a lot of the stuff around the Black Lives Matter movement is, and the naming of it, was trying to bring a specific focus on, hey man, we, we think there's a part of, of society that is not being treated equitably under the law. And in, in, in these is societal interactions or with the police or through the judicial system. And we want, we want you to focus back on that. And as an, is it okay to narrowly focus and say, look, I can't, I can't speak to everything all the time, but I think there's an injustice or a wrong here, and we want you to focus on that narrowly. Yes, totally appropriate, because you can't have every conversation all the time. You can't, you can't speak about the world macro context in everything. Sometimes you just got to go, you know what, I got four kids, there's one of them, and they're really struggling at bedtime, and I'm going to focus on that particular thing. I can't solve the world. So for the Black Lives Matter, like I think it was okay, um, and that's that's why the, that movement had sometimes has, had focused on that. Say, look, we're not saying that there's no injustice anywhere. If I'm being, if I'm trying to, to treat as fair as I can, but we, we want you to focus on this one. That's fine. But then the problem, the thing that caused a rub in there, was to then try to to then take macro steps based upon a forced narrow focus. 
So like, it's okay to say, here's how I want to focus your time. But the minute you're going to try to make a change related to that, you have to actually include the macro information. You have to step back and go, what's feeding this? Is it true exclusively for this group of folks? Or what does it look like for different other segments of people or whatever? And so I think where the rub came in isn't, I want you to focus on this narrowly. It's when you tried to take a macro step as and, and refuse the context of everything else going on around it. So don't take a... Don't take a broad action based upon a narrow focus. So that related to me also is that I, I had been reading some things and, and thinking about people who who walk away from the faith. And I, either deconstruction or they just straight up left. And some of the people that we've read stories on and whatever, and their, their justifications for doing so always feel so narrow. They're so, so focused. Like, I I had friends that wanted to live this way, probably sexually, and I just felt it was unloving to 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 not support that, and so I left the faith. Or I didn't feel like uh, I had a rough interaction with somebody at the church, and blah blah blah. Or I had something go wrong in my life, and I, I'm not I don't think God was there for me. Um, or I, I went to college, and uh, they really hit the nail home on. Uh, some some scientific principle that my parents told me to ignore because the Bible's right, and it threw me off. But what I keep thinking about in relation to those things, and this is what this frankly would keep me, and it's happened, I don't know, a, a couple of times, certainly in my life, where I'm like, you know, I'm not, do I believe this? Do I believe all of this? Uh, have I seen enough? There seem, I've seen smart people talk about things that just uh, frankly don't align to my worldview. I've seen people get really upset at things in reaction to parts of my worldview, and I'm like, this better be right. This better be true. But the thing that always reels me back is I sit and I, I narrow focus on, you know, how do I take in Genesis right? Um, what do I think about, we were talking about the, the show, uh, a few shows back on, like how old people were, um, things that I don't have great human answers for. And and I thought to myself, okay, okay, maybe maybe let's let's segment that piece off and say narrow focus I got a bucket of not sure right here, but like, I I still have taken in the case for Christ. (laughs) Like, I've still seen the spirit move. I've still seen God answer prayer. I've still, like, the historicity of the Bible, um, its its textual integrity is better than almost any other historical document. The New Testament is just a slam dunk relative to other historical documents we have. And so, like, once once I say, okay, I got a narrow focus here, if I just said I'm not quite sure how to deal with Genesis or 900-year-old people, maybe this thing is bogus and God doesn't exist, that is a broad action based upon a narrow focus. But if I forced to pull back and go, okay, what do I, just like you would have to, someone who doesn't want me to believe in Scripture would go, what do you do with Genesis? I should have to turn around and ask myself, what do you do with the textual integrity of the Bible? What do you, what do, you do with answered prayer? What do you do with the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? What do you do with marriages that you've seen last that shouldn't? Like, what do you do with those? Because I, I have to answer that same thing. And frankly, it's what keeps me from taking two steps away from where I should be because I'm forced to go back and take in a broad notion. But like, it's the same, it's the same rough problem where... And marriages break up for this. Marriages break up for this. I'm, I'm feeling that my wife doesn't appreciate me. Okay, narrow focus. I get that there's a lot of tentacles to that. But like, have you broken a relationship off something super narrow? And then taken a broad action in reaction to it and not forced yourself to go back through the context of everything else that is also true than that narrow thing? And so I know this seems like kind of rudimentary, but I'll be doggone it if we don't do it all over the place. Like much of our, what, what we might falsely tag as an overreaction is just too broad. It's a broad action based upon what is probably a real uh, and important narrow focus. And so anyway, that, that's just, it's what I had, it's what I had in my mind. What, is this resonating? Uh, not with Nathaniel. No, he don't get it. No. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm 0 for 1. No, I well, do you think people tend to do that because it's impossible to change the narrow without a, without addressing the deep, without a, addressing the wide? I think people do it because they really care about the narrow. Um, at the at the moment, the narrow, their narrow, basically, if you've got a bandwidth to take in a hundred things in any given day, once you find something that really is important to you, it becomes ninety five of them, as opposed to you taking in all hundred things evenly. And so it feels like 
it's the big thing that has to that something has to be done. This is important. But like you t- you tend to 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 crap on the dog while you go to rescue the cat. Like you 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 just tend to not pull yourself back up and go, you know what, I do actually have to digest this thing in its right context, um, in its bigger picture, because it isn't the whole world. Regardless of whether I'm upset that my wife treated me X way today, that isn't my whole relationship. And this is, this is interesting. Think of it this way. If someone, if someone commits adultery, like you would call them an adulterer. Basically the rest of their lives. You would like, that guy's, that guy's an adulterer. He's adulterated. <laughs> um, for like, and like that could be one time. That could be 15 minutes, eight minutes of a guy's life. And like that is the lens through which you describe them. Is it, a, is it a true thing? Yes, it is. Is it narrow? It's a bit narrow in the broad context of a man's life. Um, and I think about like any, any handful of things that I have done that introduced sin and negativity in the world. And I'm like, boy, am I feel fortunate that my whole life isn't, isn't um isn't landed on those like i could have been a great father today and then you know i don't know i stole 10 bucks from a guy i don't know i'm just trying to think of an example yeah. that made sense um but like dirty thief I, I just it's and again it's not to normalize sin it's not to relativize behavior i think it's just it's calling out a risk that says the thing that that feels like a giant bubble right in your face in your relationships in what the types of things that you believe in your walk with jesus like forcing yourself to say, am I, am I taking in things too narrow and I, am I being careful about not making a broad, taking a broad action based upon a narrow focus so that what in, in effect, I don't, I solve a narrow thing, but I solve it so wrong because I didn't look at it more taken back a little bit. Farther. Yeah. Everything should be able to survive a different perspective, right? The thing that you think or the thing that you, that you are, this is where we get in a lot of danger is this because most normally these things are brought about by feelings like a feeling that you had. And so, like, the, it should be able to survive both the feeling and the follow-up um, ping justification to make sure that it was actually accurate. Right? Like, I, I mean, no one, no one in the world has to be convinced that your feelings can't be trusted 100% of the time. Everybody knows this. You know, and so, like, at the end of the day, when you, especially some of the walking away from the church stuff, like, I, you know, I could get how you are sad at the state of, people choosing not to be in God's kingdom. You're just, your output is, is wrong, right? Your output is to blame God's kingdom for, the, for the, the statutes that it has designed or the way that God has created the world to work instead of being sad that people aren't choosing, you know, to head that direction. And so, like, instead, if you're hyper-focused on that, you go, well, that's wrong, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of here. Instead of stepping back a couple paces and go, look at all the good uh, and the redemption and the grace that the kingdom of God has brought into his created world. And you have to honestly put that completely to the side and ignore it to make the thing that you're saying true. You know, and acting like that grace and redemption was actually not offered to the folks that are saying no thank you. You know, and so you're right. I think, I think a, a, a perspective, you should be, your, your thought process should be able to survive perspective. Yeah, and I, I guess maybe, maybe the, the, the call here is just anytime you're, you're getting ready, like you're landing on a decision or you're thinking through something, I think just one of the filters you should run it through is like, is this too, is this too narrow? Like, so another example, I'd seen this in, the, in that Mars, Mars Hill podcast, is like they, were, they obviously had a position on the effectiveness of, say, Mark Driscoll's preaching, especially when it comes to guys. And they're like, and I think the broad connotation was, hey, you know, maybe these guys, these kids just needed, they needed a hug. Maybe they just needed someone to show them some attention and, and some, some love. And I, th- I thought to myself, like, yes, that's probably part of a, of a complete interaction with them. But, like, calling young men to purpose, encouraging them and, and, and like, trying to embolden them and, and call them to something better than what they'd settle for in life, like, that's also part of the same picture. And so it's too narrow to say the excesses of, you know, focusing on aggression as a way to advance the gospel aren't fully rectified by dropping everything completely that calls people to something higher and just hugging away. Like it's too, it's taking a broad reaction to what, to what was the narrow part was the overstep. It's something that's too much. Doesn't mean that it's gone completely. Yeah. That's the parade water bottle of, of life, right? Like uh, I, I can't tell you how many people I have loved and hugged and encouraged and they still choose to ruin themselves. Yeah. 
right? And like no amount of hug and love and encourage changes that, right? Like if, like even when you're even when you're raising children, when they do something wrong, you know, you you show them what they did wrong, you explain it to them, you call them not to do it again, and then you reinforce that with your love and say, this doesn't change the way I feel about you. It's just not how we're designed to live, right? So like, yeah, that's a real even-handed thing. And like, I, I really struggle with, with the, the, the broad swath was like, um, God, like, like the, they use the phrase that like, God is love. And that's all we're meant to do. My, my job is just to love people. That is not exactly all your job is to do. <laughs> you know, yes, your job is to love people. You're supposed to look at people the way God looks at people, right? With mercy and grace and an innate worth. That is all true. And that should equal love coming out of you for sure. Um, but like he also doesn't leave Israel to flounder on its back like a sick turtle, right? Like he shows up and says, this is the reason this is happening. This is the thing I called you out of. And these are the consequences that are coming your way. I will not leave you during these consequences, but they are coming. And, and, and it, will be, it will be heavy on you. But realize I have not left you. You know, and so like that's what love looks like. That is a whole picture of love, yeah. you know, and like, like the the constant hugging, I just I I, I, I don't I'll know. take a, I mean I'll take a good hug. I just I just don't be so narrow about it. like I I, I get it. narrow. I get it. It's it's hard. It feels like it's too much. But like when you're going, if you're going to take a broad action, you do it from a broad perspective. If you're going to take a narrow action, it's okay that you focus. Like <clears throat> take the fourth kid, uh, and they're having trouble with night times. Like. My narrow action is probably that I'm going to sit with them and we're going to read stories and we're going to pray before they go to bed for like a few weeks and see if we can't smooth the thing out. The broad action would be, hey, the fourth kid is having trouble going to sleep. No one gets to have watermelon after 3 p.m. Okay. We think it's the root cause. Jeez. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sugar water is causing the pr- – but like – and every kid would stamp their feet. But I mean how many times have you done this as a parent? Like I got too many kids. There's four kids in my house. We're constantly broad sweeping things. We're like we can't sort any of this out. Everybody's out. And they're stamping and huffing. I'm like I totally understand where they're coming from. I, I, I said I, I should use the scalpel and instead I went with an H-bomb mm. uh, because I didn't want to sort it out. Um, but like – and the consequences of me as a parent, it, like, it gets – the oldest one knows what you're doing. They look at you and go, hey, man, that didn't have anything to do with me. You're being lazy. You're being a lazy parent. I'm like, doggone it, you are correct. I, I pull back the H-bomb. Scalpel the three-year-old. So, like, it's, it's that kind of thing where people start to mistrust you. They know you're being lazy. Mm-hmm. And, and think, of, think of the good in the world. Like, there's, there's, there's important – talked about this at the time. There's an important thing that focusing on the, the lack of consistency in the justice, uh, if it's happening, it's important. Let's not lose it by by carpet bombing something, and not to, and, and not try and trying to, to take something and not do the broad focus. You can't say I only want to focus on this. I only want to shine a light on this part of the room, and then ask you to rearrange the entire room. That's not fair, and it's and it's not right because then you don't know what you just moved out of the left corner or the right corner. You were so focused on the one thing, and it doesn't mean the one thing's not important. It just means that you can't rearrange the whole place without stepping back and looking at the whole place. And like that's not a that that isn't harming the the fact that the the narrow focus was important. And so I anyway I saw it in uh, I, I thought I heard it in, in listening to people talk about walking away from Jesus. I thought, boy, it's just such a it's just a broad reaction to way too narrow of a focus. Like you should have to if this is if it's a life or death thing, if it's a eternal thing, wouldn't I want to run back through the ringer and go, okay, I think I, let's just just say I think Genesis is problematic. And the, the, I don't know, the destruction of the Canaanites rubs me the wrong way. I don't know how to deal with it. Okay. Is, was that what your whole faith was based upon? That Was that it? Well, no. Well, then how are you walking away from all the other things? How are they not true? Because actually, the p- part of this, I was thinking about this uh, a couple weeks ago, is that uh, the, the prophecies in Daniel um, that, that talk about the, the, the kings and the, uh, the Epiphanes lines of, and the Seleucids and stuff, um, uh, there is there most biblical scholarship would from at least conservative biblical scholarship would say look that's total, total prophecy they said it ahead of time uh, and uh, within a hundred years it came true uh, and then there's the biblical scholars who goes now nah, I think I think we've got evidence that, that was written in the second century and it was, it was written after it happened they just went through and kind of rewrote it and I thought that's devastating because like there's things I believe about Jesus and about God uh, that uh, and the Jewish people and his interaction with people that are based upon the fact that, like, boy, this is real clear-cut, this particular notion of prophecy is the, the, the specificity and the lines of people and how 
earthly kingdoms move and shake in Daniel 11. Um, and so, like, it matters to me. It does matter whether that they wrote it afterwards and acted like it was beforehand or whether it was actually beforehand. It's a big deal to me. And then uh, I think I got it resolved. I think the conservative position is pr- mostly right. Um, but, like, it was something where I thought, like, what if this wasn't true? What does this mean? What does this mean for me and what I believe? And so, again, I, I get narrow focus. I was thinking a lot about it, and I thought, well, uh, I know that uh, God still answers prayer. I know the Holy Spirit has made has progress in my life. I've seen it happen in other people's lives. I've seen people's lives changed on the gospel. Vast majority of, like, I, I think Jesus rose from the dead. I think the, the earthly existences for that scriptural uh, evidence is good. I thought, you know, then, then as opposed to being something that can throw me off that says, I know Lord, I think Yahweh exists, I think, well, I've got questions in a bucket. Because I was because I forced myself to take the broad perspective. Anyway, that was the whole thing. I don't know if it's an encouragement or just a way to like recognize where social movements are trying, or even movements in the faith are trying. Like you can at least tag it and recognize the source. This most some of the time, the source problem is they have a righteous narrow focus of which they are trying to take too broad of an action without going back for a broader focus. They are uh, treating a cold sore with, with chemotherapy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And the, cold, and the chemotherapy may cure the cold sore, but also might destroy your liver. Yeah. 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 So. That's nasty. <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> it's me talking there. <laughs> okay. Uh, just for the complaint line, I know you guys, you can see him on the screen if you're watching a video. There's two options as to whether why Mike just walked out of the room. Uh <laughs> Backside Dang. pointing away. <laughs> he says it's too hot. You can insert number uh, option B. That's your option. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. We're down. We got. To, I got two things down already. Mike, we're making some heck of a progress. What were you? You said uh, uh, grace for deconstruction. I got to stand over here. I tell you, I don't. It's got to be eighty-seven degrees here. <laughs> I, I know. I was feeling. I was. I was sitting here melting over here, thinking, uh, okay. Yeah. I, I wish Ben would and shut then, up. And if I open my mouth, I'll say something really stupid. Hey, Ben's blah, blah, been blah, on blah. this like windy. <laughs> oh, it's what happens when we don't have a show for like X number of weeks. Ben comes in here full of wind, and he's wearing a stocking cap and a full-length sweater, and talks for like nine minutes straight. And I'm over here like dying of heat exhaustion. I'm like, <laughs> my eyes are closing. Oh, I'm, gotta, I'm gonna fall asleep. You got It's not up, as man. bad. Yeah, I'm gonna take a drink coffee. It's the heat. So I was I was just thinking about um, like the phrase deconstruction just irritates the living crap out of me and and like every time I hear somebody say it I'm like ugh yeah here we go again you know a guy's like I got to resort out my faith and I got to build it back up and I'm like there's an awful lot of you in the middle of this conversation it does seem like a self monument yeah, like does. to describe yourself under like under construction or deconstruction like it's a weird way to present yourself yeah and so uh, in attempts. I, this wasn't even my own thought, and so like I, I'm not exactly sure where where it came from, but I'm maybe it was in an attempt to understand the process and maybe inject a little grace on it from my perspective. But um, a lot of the folks who are using the phrase "I'm deconstructing my faith" come from uh, a particular church movement or culture, you know, and a lot of them are the larger ones, you know, and a lot of them are wrapped up in. They're not, they're not like uh, down south, old country Bible churches with 25 people in them, right? Mm-hmm. They're church cultures that have four or 5,000 people per Sunday with massive production and media and whatever. Celebrity, celebrity pastors. Celebrity yeah. pastor stuff going on. And like, I'm not saying anything inherently about any of that. But what I am saying is, is like they come, their faith or where they came to faith or where they're currently serving Jesus Christ comes with a, a heavy culture. One that is not easily shed. And so um, it occurred to me that like, it's possible that when people are talking about deconstructing, because the, the culture that they are churching or their community is involved in and their view of uh, the good news of Jesus Christ are so heavily intertwined, if the culture at some point becomes slightly toxic or not a place where God has called them to be and they start noticing cracks in the facade like that, um, you, do, you do have to you do have to deconstruct that. You do have to pull that culture out from your view of the gospel because that's where you that's where you got the gospel from. You know, inherently this is either where you're feeding your faith in Christ or where you understood it for the first time. And so it is heavily influenced by all the culture around it. And like once again, like the bigger the church, the more their culture is is I don't want to say controlled, but um, manicured, right? The more that it is is because when you're trying to lead five, six thousand, ten thousand people, you have to be very specific on what the culture is going to be. 
you know, because yeah. you just don't have a whole lot of room for mess because you've got 8,000 people in here, yeah. you know. So anyway, I, I think an attempt to try to understand that with a little bit more grace, I think sometimes when, when a church culture becomes toxic or maybe something has changed within their life or something about that's not working anymore, you do have to separate your faith in Jesus Christ with the church culture that you are a part of. And that might seem like you're deconstructing your whole faith. It could certainly feel that way. Now, once again, it's a narrow and a, and a, and a broad thing, right? Like if you step back a couple feet, I think you'll realize that the church culture part is the one that's causing the issue. And obviously the perfect creator of the universe is not causing the issue. Yeah. But when you start making broad strokes based on the fact that they are heavily intertwined and go, well, I'm trying to re-understand my faith in Christ, that's, that's a fair statement. That's a, and, I, and, and frankly, I think it's probably fair to evaluate those things you know, on a pretty regular basis. You should be evaluating where you're... You should have a, you should have a good explanation yeah, for your faith. Yeah, like if you were to rephrase and say, hey man, I'm trying... I'm taking a moment to make sure that I am following Jesus around. I'm not following a Pathway Church. I'm not following Ben's House Church. You know, I'm not... Like that. Whoa, whoa! When did we start calling it Ben's House? Church? <laughs> if I say House Church in general, it's, it, it it lacked a narrow foot. I wanted to land it on something. You can't well, just you be House yourself Church for sure. Okay, fine. Nathaniel's House Church. Nathaniel, <laughs> <laughs> you gluttonous rube. Um, so, so it, it, anyway, like it's. I'm not. If you're saying, hey, I'm taking stock to make sure that like I'm heavily tailing Jesus in a in a surrounded by this community, not. I'm a disciple of this com- community specifically. If that's what we mean, like that's totally healthy. You should do that all the time. And as a community, you would want it. Hey, like, are, are, are you getting tied up in these structures? Knock it off, it, <laughs> right? Like these are human things. Am I was what I'm following of Christ, or is what I am discipled of something of humanity? And and I think I think there is a super healthy deconstruction. I like part of that is is maybe finding ways on the other end to not have gotten caught up in that so much? Well, I, here's the thing. The, the reason most of it comes off as so disingenuous is because it's always a big production on the way out. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, if you were honestly deconstructing for a reason to rebuild and, and view, you know, through time, peace, thought, prayer, whatever, right? You'd have just faded out, right? But instead, it's always followed by a massive internet announcement and social media posts that is chronicling exactly what you got going on. And like, one, you know that's not good for you because you are actually out there seeking the commentary approval of people. And two, if you loved those people, you know that's not good for them either. They're gossip hounds, man. You're out there causing them to get whirled up in, in, in gossip, and they have their own lives to live. So it feels really selfish to me. Yeah, like if you're looking to actually figure out, hey, what is actually true here um, and what is the core thing, Having that be influenced by the affirmations of a fickle mob, which is any social media platform, is the wrong way to do it. Right. You and won't ev- find truth there. And every jerk Christian on the internet is going to show up and talk, and every person who, who hates Jesus is going to show up and talk. And like you didn't get an accurate sampling of yeah. anybody that loves you at all. You got a bunch of samplings of people that love to hear themselves talk. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you have to prescribe that if you're asking these types of questions, you certainly don't have to do it alone. But like you should be doing that with a closer... C- community of people who love you not an audience yes like for anything like this is true like again like it's it's um there's this thought that you're not genuine if you don't kind of make known every step of a process that you're going through and i think that's not true like it doesn't make you a liar just because you don't share everything well, it's, like I don't, I, think, I don't, I don't post on our Facebook Messenger chat the frequency of my BMs. No, but it's because a, I'm not a liar. It's a mag, it's a magnitude <laughs> thing, right? Like uh, you can be. There's certain people that you should be pretty honest with. The BMs might be a bit far, but like, hey, man, I'm struggling understanding why I'm even involved in Christianity anymore. Yeah, I think that's a one or two person conversation. I don't think it's out there for six million people. It's an attention grab. You, you don't actually want answers. You can't ask 10 people. This is why meetings in most office buildings are ridiculous. They're like, hey, let's invite more people. I'm like, oh, man, as soon as you get this room over four people, it's a melee. We never come up with anything. We yeah. just talk around in circles for an hour, and nothing ever comes of it. And the guy that had the, the tick of the thing when we walked in is the guy that's got the tick of the thing on the way yeah. out. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Uh, after uh, 20 years doing office work, uh, three people to four people in a room 
are after truth and solutions. Five people or more in a room are after people persuasion. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Because there's no fight here. You find, you pick any five people, they do not have such stark views of reality that you need five, their, their five unique voices in a room. People aren't that interesting. They generally fall around one to two lines, maybe three at best. And cool. So just so you know, if you got a meeting either, <laughs> either in your church uh, or at your office building, you want to solve a problem, you got three to four people in there max. Uh, past that, now you're just talking about who can persuade other people, and you're, now you're dealing with gangs of people. You're not trying to solve a problem. You're seeing who can, who can pers- like, persuade people. And that goes for people who are good people persuaders. That's why they invite people. Stan will be on my side, and I can persuade Stan. All right, you egomaniacal turd. Get in there and defend yourself. Leave, let Stan go home and eat a donut. Yeah. Anyway, just to wrap up that thought process, I think I, I have a very uh, negative opinion. I think it's mostly the way that they're rolled out, and mostly that it feels like it's in an attempt to gain their own celebrity. The folks that have been doing it, or that the examples at least that I'm seeing. That you know about, I guess. That I know about. Like, I'm yeah. sure there's a thousand people that are doing this exactly how we described it, <clears throat> fading off into the weeds, thinking, praying, whatever. Um, but the folks that are doing it for uh, prestige, for their own kingdom, it's, it's just hard to yeah. take in and seems very disingenuous. But if you tie all that together and say deconstruction doesn't necessarily, even if it feels like you're deconstructing your faith, in, in their perspective their faith is their church culture plus the truth of, of jesus christ right and so like yeah there could be a time when those do need to separate and uh, the truth needs to stand on its own the jesus stuff needs to be all by itself then you had someone ever did someone approach you uh in in kind of modern times talking about deconstruction and asking for help or discussion no no i haven't it has not happened because uh, i preach the gospel <laughs> preach the good news only mm. no mm. i mean I mean, everybody struggles with their faith here and there once in a while, but I've, I haven't personally had people say, like, I'm, I'm completely out. I don't know why I'm even yeah. here. Yeah. Well, okay. Hey, you're listening to Live from the Path. Thanks for hanging out with us so far tonight. If you've got any comments on the show uh, so far, we'd love to hear from them. Like, no joke, Nathaniel, did you get up at, like, 2 a.m.? You look, you look rough. No, I woke up at, like, uh, 7. Oh. I'm good. Uh, is there anything you want to you want to discuss in front of us and the rest of the world? Uh, no. Uh, uh, on that, well, a note on that deconstruction thing. Okay. I feel like there's uh several people that I went to school with that you know they didn't make like a big to do about it on the Facebook or whatever, but uh, you know something will come up uh, and they'll say, yeah, I'm not really down with that anymore. And so, hmm. but they didn't like publicly announce I am no longer mm-hmm. a Christian. Hmm. Mm. Are these? Pe- I mean, do they provide? Did you get any more information? No, I'm just super curious. Like, because uh, uh, I'm going to put this the wrong way, but like, it would really take some whiz bang to convince me that the stuff that I believe isn't true. And we kind of talked about this yeah. one other, like, on a different show. You know, like if you could produce the body of Jesus, okay, fine, we're good here. Um, but like, you know, it, like if I went down to the line of things that that don't that will not allow me to walk away from my faith because I have seen them or experienced them it makes me wonder like if someone who's given it the real holy holy ghost go and goes nope i checked never seen the holy spirit move prayers ineffectual i think that uh, i've come to the conclusion that the manuscripts are a sham I'm like really <laughs> yeah i and most of the folks that we've had in here that i think have gone the same route uh has generally worked because they the reason turned out to be that uh god wasn't working for them Right, yes, like a disappointment in their right. personal goals. They were almost yeah. sure, or they said that God had them set up to do this, and then God didn't fulfill His end of the bargain, and so either you know, forget them, I'm mad at them, I'm gonna go off and do what I want, or He never existed in the first place, I'm gonna go off and do what I want. Huh. Yeah, they, they, like we do see a lot of, hey, I think God has sent me in here to glorify myself, and then it turns out that God did not support that particular yeah. glorification, and they're like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> and the Which, funny, we could have called it. That like yeah. like we almost knew every every band that we had in here that was claiming something like that, and you're like, you know, I don't think so. No, <laughs> I, I, if there's one thing that Life from the Path is fairly decent at, we can smell the Holy Spirit on people, and so like you can tell when people are just phoning this thing in, looking for you know glorification of their own <laughs> their own style. I was gonna say, I think it's the same with uh, some of these bigger deconstruction people you were talking about. It is 
it's, it's a disappointment there too. Like I sold X many millions of books. Well, people aren't buying my books now. So maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I don't love him. Right. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm out, you know, or a musician or a preacher and the church is declining. It seems to be connected to personal ego and goals uh, from the outsider's view. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I'm not in there well, wrestling with their mind. But. And some of this stuff is so difficult because the people that are getting the most disappointed are like, like the people playing in a worship band. A bass player for a church is not a job. Yeah. It wasn't even available a hundred years ago. <laughs> it's a new job, right? <laughs> and so it's not like, hey, man, you know, the b- biblical writings have always pointed me to be a bass player here. And then it didn't quite. People love me. People love everything. <laughs> I mean, the Holy Spirit can't flow without me in the fog machine or whatever. And like, and this is not knocking on modern worship sets, but like, honestly, fellas, this, you know, you're way too wrapped up in this thing. The things that you're saying is like, this is the vehicle of which God created me to worship him. And it was very specific to me. This didn't exist right. since the start of the world until like 60 years ago. Was this an available position in the church? You know, and now you're like, sustain me, feed my kids off of it, glorify me, give me my worth, you know, sh- let me travel. Like, you know, like, this is, you're asking all this wrapped up in the God that also saved you from all your sins. And you're like, but that's not enough. Yeah. I need this. Yeah. I need you to do this other stuff too. And once you don't, then this wasn't everything that I y- wanted. Y- Yahweh's not real because I can't, I can't pluck the four strings of thunder for the Holy Ghost. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I wanted a new bass amp. Or they cut my cut me down to only three seconds on the video. They focused mostly on the people raising hands in the audience, and that's a bunch of crap because they didn't even practice. <laughs> and I practiced all week. The three chords that are in most modern worship tunes, bass man. <laughs> all that guy do all that all that bass man has to do is basically play single notes the whole song until the breakdown comes and then he gets to double it up. Bum, 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 until the drummer goes, okay, everybody's back in. Yeah. And then we're back to singles. <laughs> I mean, the guy's got to memorize four notes the whole, the whole show. Yeah, yeah, it is. So, like, um, maybe, maybe, we've, maybe we've beat this, this topic up before. I'm just like, what is it that, that gets people to so intermix human worldly measures and their understanding or their uh, um, perspective on their God's reality. Is it, well, I know what it is. It's a humility problem. Like, it's a pretty, it's, it's a use, like, God is real when he otherwise supports and does the things that I expect. God is not real or is bad when he doesn't support or doesn't do the things that I would expect. It's a humility problem. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's true, because, like, uh, I, I, I think I have, would probably point to the times of my life where I know God has pointed something out in my life that was not good. To where I was most convinced that he was real. Because I'm like, this sh- actually should not be a big deal. Almost everybody that I would currently know outside of who, who follow Jesus would have let this thing go yeah. with no big deal at all. I should be able to tell a little white lie to get me out of a little bit of trouble at work if I want to. Everybody else would have done it. And Jesus come after me going, no, no, no. No, no. can't let the God let And I'm like, there has to be a God because I wouldn't beat myself up over this. I would have let this go, <laughs> you know. Yeah, actually, that's interesting, is to think, like, what kind of evil do people have to believe in in the world? If God is not real, and he's not the source of, the, the, the Holy Spirit isn't the source of your conscience at times, like, boy, I mean, what kind of evil mechanism is the human body for people to be racked with guilt without, if there's not really a moral system of which you actually should have to adhere to? Like, there's some people who, like, don't love Jesus at all, but have a but a nagging guilt on things that the world may or might not even have a problem with. I'm like, uh, this is what evolution has done for you. It's destroying you for no particular moral purpose if there is no God. And like, I, that seems like a bad jump. I don't know why we're surviving on this thing. True. It's just that it's an evil mechanism you live in. Now, if that guilt is associated with a nagging internal implicit morality that God has given you, it's why everyone like. You know, most most people, when they go to, if you go to, I don't know, stamp on a rabbit or something, like, you feel it. I don't know if you like, there's things that I've had to, like, what if we've, we've killed chickens at Mike's house? Uh, and, like, you know it's all right to kill. We kill the chickens all the time. You eat chicken all the time. But, like, the, fr- the very first chicken you, you grab and slit the throat, you're like, oh, man, I feel something about that. And then you get to chicken 15 and you don't care. There's just yeah, chicken heads it. flying everywhere. It's murders. Uh, but like, it's just, but you feel, but there is something, there's an inherent value in life around you. There's an inherent value in other people that you have to become callous to. But like, you didn't, 
you didn't earn that. I've, I've heard I've heard kind of um, evolutionists try to explain where these things have come from, but they're wildly inconsistent. There's all kinds of human behavior that is personally destructive, like notions of of um, of anxiety and depression and some of the moral loads. If they're not tied to Jesus, I don't know what functional good they're doing. They seem like a real waste of a of a gene pool. Yeah, even even uh, non critical stress, right? The things that you're stressed about that actually can't hurt you. Yeah, right. You know, like, I mean, there's okay to be stressed like, hey, I'm about to fall off this cliff or whatever. But like, hey, I'm not going to meet this deadline at work. There's no value for you to have that stress. You won't do a better job because of it. You know, like there's no survival instinct that to have that stress be there. It's merely a moral load that you would have put upon yourself because of the consequences of what's happened. You know, so like, it's not a good evolutionary step. If, uh, if, if unnecessary stress could be wiped out of your personality... Uh, you would say, yes, please do that, because I'm tired of being worked up over stuff that doesn't matter. You know, what's, and what's interesting on this bucket is that, like, um, from that perspective, uh, if you think you over you know, hundreds of thousands of years or millions of years, like, those things should weed themselves out. Except as a society, we have found ways to make sure that lowest common denominator stuff is supported, does not die off, and does persist generation to generation, which seems like a real backwards evolutionary thing as well. Right, like, like we find um, uh, so. Okay, I'm trying to think of the right way to talk about this. It doesn't isn't like super offensive, but like, what what you would consider a weakness in humanity, we find ways to make sure those people feel supported, for the most part, and persist and procreate and create more people with similar proclivities. Uh, none of the natural world is doing this. <laughs> Only humans look at other humans in their frailty and go, "This is important and should be kept alive." Like. Yeah. We have barn cats. They'll have babies, and there'll be one. There was one that like was in rough shape, and the mom just ignored it. It said, "Look, it's a goner. It was not dead. It it lived for another two days because we're over there trying to you know resuscitate it and keep it alive and feed it stuff we bought from Walmart to try to keep this cat alive. And the mom gave up on it a long time ago and just watched it die. I had no problem ignoring it. And so like, I that makes sense to me because humans have inherent value and worth because they're made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, if, if that's not true, like, we're totally counter to our own existence by trying to prop up and sustain the weakest among us. True. It's, a we- it's just a weird position. Anyway, I'm sure there's smart people who, who, who follow that train of thought who will give me some better explanation than what I currently have. Uh, but, like, it just, I don't know, just something, you get, something to reckon with. I don't know why we're talking about it. You're listening to Life from the Path. Mike, let's do some advice so we can get out of here. Dare, Life from the Path. I was in a relationship, nine months, up until about a month ago. Without going to a lot of detail, the guy I was seeing ghosted me without any warning. We had a great conversation on a Thursday night, and Friday morning he blocked my calls, email, etc. I have no idea what happened. The night before, I accidentally FaceTimed him, my phone was in my pocket, and his son answered, and I thought he had called me, but apparently I called him. Keep in mind I had never met his son the entire time we were together. What do you mean you don't have any idea what happened? I know what happened. Yeah, this is, this is taking a turn. <laughs> is this the end? I think <laughs> we know. <laughs> this isn't the first time he has stopped speaking to me for reasons only he knows, but this is the first time he has gone this far. I'm trying to move past it, but I'm having a hard time. Even though we dated for only nine months, I talked to him about everything, and we had such great times together. I want to understand why he did what he did to get some closure, but I don't know what to do. Do I need to just let this go? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, guys, jack wagon. Uh, he's not telling you the full truth. You don't accidentally, he didn't even spring a kid nine months in. You accidentally found out about a kid, and he's multiple times taken the action of completely cutting you off and not saying anything. Now, you could be a psychopath, but I'm going to go with either way, you should be glad of this. She knew the, she knew the kid existed. They just weren't meeting. Are you sure? Yeah. Oh, because I was going to say, uh, be happy the wife didn't answer, but. Wait, that's what I thought. You're double, like, I thought she didn't know that the kid existed. No, no, she knew. She had just never met him. Okay, well, that's a little bit better. I thought he was hiding the kid. Yeah. But still, if you've never met a, a person's child after nine months. Nine months? That, 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 that's, that's saying something. I mean, maybe they're uh, recently divorced and they thought, you know, I need a, I need a year separation. Now, if before. that's true, you should not date him anyway. Yeah, I, I think he's just using this girl for a conversation on the side. side and uh, should just not engage in that conversation anymore. Yeah, I think Dad's being generous with that conversation I word. Think right. I think he's using it with something. In either case, I That's think a lot of body language. <laughs> you should be glad of this. Uh, thankful he's forced you in a position that you should have taken on your own, and uh, you need to let this go. Uh, tr- trying to rationalize or understand 
deceptive or irrational behavior will not provide you any, any benefit. Because you're just going to come to the conclusion that, like, hey, man, that guy acted irrationally and deceptively to me. I'll, t- I'll just tell you that's the truth right now. Yeah, I wouldn't even take it personally. It's just, just who he is. That's right. Nathaniel. Yeah, he's a big dumb dummy. Big Leave dumb him. dummy. Leave him alone. Capital D. Capital D dumb dummy. Here we go. Here we go. Segular says, your ex may have been upset because, until your FaceTime call, his son didn't know he was seeing anyone. Now, that's possible. Mm-hmm. The son didn't know. Well, yeah, but, like, that's, one, his fault, uh, and, two, I, you can't really blame her for having called. Yeah. Unless, again, unless she's weird, unless she's not admitting to, like, actually, I was stalking the son because he wouldn't answer my phone calls, and so I got hold of the, the kid, and then whatever. You should be done with this relationship anyway. You're unhealthy. Secular continues. Yeah. I'm not a mind reader. And neither are you. Thank you. You stated that this isn't the first time he has clammed up and given you the silent treatment. A relationship based on such immaturity and poor communication skills would not be healthy for you anyway. (laughs) Staunch your bleeding and move on. You have my sympathy. Okay. All right. Weird. I don't like we align. It makes me feel suspicious about what we said. No. Yeah. I think people's uh, instinct is like, I got to know what happened. Right? And sometimes the answer is, it's it's mess. And sometimes mess is just mess. Yeah. And if, if you're a Mike Flavor character, I want you to take the word mess out and insert a profanity that's like poop. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes that's just what it is. That's all it is. And there's no reason to understand it. You don't have to get your hands in there and feel it out and whatever. It just is. And so don't, don't try to figure it out. Just call it what it is and be done with it. Yeah, I had a, I had a guy uh, leave me a, a nasty message here this last week. And uh, he's swearing at me and, and accusing me of a bunch of stuff. And after the message got done, I got real worried about it. I'm like, what happened here? I, I want to know what caused all this, and why is this person reacting to me in this way? And I got about three to four hours afterwards, and I thought, I don't, um, I don't care. Yeah. This says, I don't care. What do I go to? So, like, either way, regardless of what, because I knew it was, what, the things were not true, this person has jived up a bunch of stuff, and, like, to what value do I get for having sorted out the source of all of it? Either way, this person was willing to treat me like, like Junkola uh, for no particular reason without talking to me about it first. And I thought, I don't, what is this? Why do, I don't need the details. Uh, I, I'm just going to deal with the situation as it lies. And frankly, uh, the rest of the week was a lot better because of it. Yeah. It just, sometimes it's just mess. Yep. Okay. Uh, last one. Dear Life on the Path. Yep. Oh, boy. Hold on a second. I don't have my old man's on. <laughs> my mother, who is 85, lives under the domination of my 88-year-old father. Oh. <laughs> After retirement, Dad has remained active and has taken up hobbies that fill the entire house. Mom was an award-winning photographer, but medical issues now prevent her from enjoying the activity the way she used to. She has always enjoyed music and had a keyboard she felt comfortable playing, but only when Dad was away. My father tends to be very critical, which is, o- which is why I think she would only play in private. Recently, thinking Mom no longer used it, my dad donated her keyboard. He said it was taking up space. Mm-hmm. Mom recently confided to me that she was devastated when it happened. I would like to purchase another keyboard for mom for her birthday, but I don't want her to feel betrayed. Why? Why would she feel betrayed? I don't know. I'm not sure if I should talk with dad about it beforehand. Yeah. He is sure to ask <laughs> mom why she hasn't more vocal hasn't been more vocal about her feelings in the first place, thus putting her in an uncomfortable position. Do you have any suggestions? Boy, dude, you're the creator of eggshells. I feel like you just walk around, <laughs> spread them out, and be like, hey, be careful of this. Hey, don't mention this. Hey, what if this happens? I mean, what was the gist of the problem? I mean, he might be way overselling his dad. His dad's filled the house with his hobbies. What does that mean? He's a, he's like creates balloon animals, and you can't walk into the spare I bet bedroom. Does the uh, the trains model trains? I those can go anywhere. That's, yeah, that's but those are awesome, and everyone knows that. There's no reason to say bad things about model trains. What about when they're throwing out Mama's piano? I mean, I'm assuming that she. This seems like an old school relationship where uh, he's probably a little bit uh, uh, domineering. And she's probably a little bit meek. I mean, if you can't enjoy photography, that's a low-impact physical activity. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, so yeah. I'm assuming that you can't enjoy a whole lot physically. There's not a whole lot of your ability. So if you can't click a camera, then I don't think you can probably play the piano. Well, it sounds like she only plays it when he's gone. And so, like, he may... According, he may, to, according to her. Well, right, but, like, if that was the case, he may legitimately not know she even enjoys it. And she, she may not know she plays it at all. And it could be an eye thing. Like, maybe she just can edit them like she used to, and she yeah. can't see it well. Yeah, so let's say, play. Let's, say that, let's say the mom is more, more handicapped than maybe she's, the, the, the boy is letting on. This is the dude? 
Yeah, the son. This is the son. I thought it was the daughter. No. Sound like a girl. Oh, I, I can't pay attention to anything. I don't respect no, this dude. You're right. No, sorry. It's the daughter. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. So she, she, the mom might be less capable than she's <clears throat> handling on, you know, and the dude might not be as much of a curmudgeon because he knows his wife and knows what she's capable of doing. And then maybe she was running into the piano, like whatever. Or right? he thought it depressed her to look at or something. He, maybe he's trying to do it for her benefit. Correct. And like, see, here's the thing. It's, it's so sad that you can't take people at face value here. Because the way she's telling the story, it's purposely being told to make you think the dad is is in league with Satan himself, you know, and the mom is an angel of some sorts. And you're like, it's just I can't take that in as being completely true, right? Right. Now. He's got model cars and laffy taffy all over the house. Yeah, and, and bows and arrows, piano in here. and he's just he's just <laughs> twisting his mustache, looking for crap to throw away to secretly hurt her feelings. Like it just don't sound right, you know. But I, then again, if she's completely right, then uh, yeah, I'd have your mom move in with you. She, you don't want to live out the rest of her days with a crazy domineering Hitler man. <laughs> I mean, I, a lot of this, like, it's one of those things where uh, I just need one more line. I asked Dad about it, and he said, "Yes, okay, yeah. <laughs> there. Let's the give me that, and then we can all do whatever we have to do." Yeah. I confirmed my dad is a domineering turd, or I found out that I way overreacted, and that my mom can't see anything. Like, just start with I asked Dad about it. Yeah, and Dad said. That keyboard, uh, she never plays it, and she's terrible, and... It's uh, broken. It's broken. It's broken. And yeah. she does, says bad things about you when you're not here, so she don't like you very much, yeah. daughter. Yeah. Plus, I mean, uh, this lady's probably in her 60s. 80s? You know? No, the, 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 the daughter. daughter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? It's like, talk to dad. Yeah. And that was one of the questions. Should I talk to dad before I replace the keyboard? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. You should talk to dad months ago. <laughs> in fact, you should talk to dad about a wide variety of topics. Right? Like, how's the weather? Dad? Is mom okay? Dad? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How did you survive the Nuremberg trials? <laughs> this guy. <laughs> okay, let's see what Secular says. <laughs> you, know, you don't think so? <laughs> secular says, have a chat with your dear old dad. Tell him what you plan to do and why. If he expresses puzzlement about why you're doing it, point out that between the two of them, he is the dominant personality, which may be why your mother didn't speak up on her own behalf. While you're at it, suggest that the next time he has the urge to dispose of your mom's property... He should first ask how she feels about it. It may be a wake-up call that he needs. I mean, he's 88. Maybe he forgot. That he had a wife? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that a, might be a little too gracious. There, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of ifs here. I don't who's, know whose about... Whose keyboard is this? I don't know. I live here alone. Yeah, I want it out. <laughs> I want it out of this house right now. Is, is, do we think... Is there a concept at all... Uh, well, no, never mind. Never mind. I take it back. I think it's weird for them for to you to say, to Dad, you need to remember that you're the dominant personality. Yeah. I mean, that's not a bridge maker. You're I making. thought that was awkward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're being weird. I think you should just tell him, like, if he's being a jerk, say, look, that meant something to Mom. And, and so, uh, you know, we need to get it back. We need to both get or, it back. I mean, whatever. There's, a, there's an easy way to play. Like, just show up to the house and go, hey, what happened to that keyboard? And the, then Dad will say something. I got rid of it. Oh, seriously, why? Oh, your mom never plays it. Mom, do you ever play that piano? (laughs) No, honey, it's not a big deal. Your dad threw it away. He was right. I say, oh, well, then what do we have a problem with? I I can't remember. Was it clear that the mom, the mom said she was upset about it? Yeah, but she only told the daughter, not the husband. Yeah, I mean, I guess you got to make sure you stay out of a rat's nest here. Like, if you don't want, I mean, it would come up. If I just got rid of something in our house that my wife liked, she would bring it up. Hey, hey, Ben. (laughs) What'd yeah. you do with that Instapot? Yeah. I mean, these were marriages from a different time. So, like, you're, you're in the same house. How do you not have a conversation about a keyboard? Yeah, true. I mean, actually, as, as, as the, uh, a married couple gets older, like, they get real sweet around the, the 80s. But in between, like, the 50s and the 70s, boy, they fight awkwardly in front of other people, and it's hard to take in. You think it's because uh, they're being unshackled with all the other things that otherwise kept them apart, like work and, and children, and all of a sudden they got to deal with themselves? I think they just uh, yeah, they just don't they don't. I maybe it's just a pattern I've noticed with a lot of folks, but like, yeah, by the time a, a married couple hits about fifty, they just don't have any problem blaming the the spouse, you know, straight up in a conversation. And whatever Brian was supposed to pick the thing up, and he let us down again. You know, and you're like, ooh, <laughs> ooh, think, boy, I, I, to take <laughs> I guess, Dan, have you have you have you noticed that your marriage has shifted over time? Like the longer you're married, and either matured in some ways, regressed in some ways. 
<sighs> nothing, nothing like that. I mean, Mike, it might be the crowd you hang around in. Could be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't imagine just saying, I think I'm getting rid of this couch. My wife loves it. You know, or, or whatever, piece of furniture, you know, a keyboard, uh, uh, any, anything. My wife doesn't need this dress. Yeah. It's stupid. I can't yeah. even think of a guy that I know who would even care. Yeah. Like, I would say, you're just going to stay here until my wife decides we don't need it anymore. What do I care? Yeah. Unless I need room for my hobbies. Yeah. I, I got yeah, hobbies. hobbies. My train. Sure my hobbies are put away every night. I want to. I want to set up my dagger throwing rig over here. I gotta. <laughs> gotta have this piano. I mean, if he's a real way. jerk, he'd just put his trains on top of the piano. Yeah. Cover right. up the keys with it. Yeah. Yeah. There's mm. something weird about this story. Yeah. We're we're missing some key detail. Uh, either way, the first conversation is, Dad. <laughs> what do you think about the following situation? Okay, you've been listening to Live from the Path. Thanks for hanging out with us. We very much do appreciate it. Uh, hey, maybe you've got something to say. You've got something to say? Maybe you've got something to say. You can call the Live from the Path. Bob Eisenhower complaint line. That's 515-517-0085. That's call or text. 515-517-0085. We'd love to hear from you, whether you think the show is good or not. And uh, just leave us, a, leave us a hit there. Also, if you could, uh, whatever podcasting app you use, if you wouldn't mind giving us uh, a rating, you don't have to give us a five-star or whatever. Just be honest about it. But uh, we just like to see a little action going on and people talking about the show. Makes us feel like we're, uh, you know, doing something good in the world. And uh, I think we'll be back next week. I guess we'll see. But in the meantime, be faithful in the means. God will handle the ends. You've been listening to Live from the Path.